All right, so we're talking about the very beginning of human history here, which is a cool thing to be able to talk about. Um, I'm going to begin with a little bit of a question for you. I'm curious, based on your initial reading. So last time we were talking about God creating the earth, creating the water, creating the sun, the moon, the stars, and finally creating man on the sixth day. Um, I'm curious what you think now. In the early days of creation, so after God creates man, how would you describe man's relationship with God? What is the relationship like between, between Adam, Eve, and God in the Garden of Eden? Let's say after creation, but prior to the fall. Do you get any indicator of what it's like? Yeah, I will. Wow, nice. What made you think of that particular verse? What made you think of that particular verse? Because, like, that's a pretty good relationship with them. The fact that they're kind of finding, like, lost or, like, Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, everyone, let's go to the verse. It's a little counterintuitive, but let's all go to the verse. It's um, Genesis chapter 3. And verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. So this is actually after the fall. So this is why it's not totally intuitive. Because I say, what's the relationship like before the fall? Well, after the fall here, we get this verse, which I think gives us a clue. So in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. It's a really important verse right there. And it's got kind of two halves. The first half is Adam and Eve hear the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Have you ever heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? No. Garden of Eden. No, you haven't. Um. That, that, that seems to indicate to me something kind of special, some real privilege that Adam and Eve had. Remember, whole basic like theme so far in this course has been the struggle to know God personally. Well, when I hear that phrase, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, well, that's a very personal phrase. It suggests to me that God was very, very, very accessible there. Because then the, the implication seems to me to be you could go on a walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Which means, I think the cool of the day means it's either morning or evening. Probably evening. The sun has set. The sun, is, it's at least setting. And so there's still light. It's still day. But it's more comfortable time to go for a walk. Uh, I do this all the time. I get home from work and I'm tired. And, but it's a cooler part of the day, and so I'll just go for a walk. Adam and Eve are living in the Garden of Eden, the garden where God walks. And it seems like, and God isn't, God isn't hiding from them. God isn't making himself hard to find. It's like, if ever you want to 
if ever you wanted to find God in the Garden of Eden, you could just go to where he walks in the cool of the day and say, hello, go for a walk with him, have a conversation. Which indicates to me that there's, in the Garden of Eden, there's this very special relationship shared between God and between Adam and Eve. They're close. The Garden of Eden is the place where God dwells. Man is created in union with God. And that's true in part because it says, God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. You hear that imagery? You see, you, you kind of hear that the, you can kind of hear there the love that God has for Adam and Eve. He creates him in his image. He breathes life into him, and then he plants a garden for him. The garden where God himself walks. So Adam and Eve enjoy this very, very special privilege. But then, of course, we get their fall. There's the second half of that verse. God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. Remember, in the first couple weeks of this course, how we were thinking, striving, trying to find a way to get to know God? How can we see God? He's almost unknowable. He's so obscure. He's so much greater than us, so far away it would seem. And here Adam and Eve are. God is walking right there, and they hide. They hide from him. This is an effect of their sin. We need to talk about that sin. Remember, gospel means good news. First, we need to hear the bad news. What caused the first sin? Yes. Say it again. Okay, the fruit from the forbidden tree caused the first sin. Addison, go ahead. Temptations from the serpent. How many of you agree with that answer? Does that sound like a good answer? Does anyone have a different way of putting it? Lucy. Well, there can be multiple. There can be multiple causes. So I think we're hitting on a couple of them here. Um, Eddie. Selfish desires. I like the word desires there. I think that'll be helpful. It's part of the temptation. John? Um, yeah, the, the devil kind of puts them over the edge, but it was mostly just um, them being selfish. And, like, okay, so why did Eve make this choice? We all know where we're looking here. Yeah, let's find the verse. We're looking in chapter 3. Why did Eve make this choice? Remember, just in case you missed the details, God puts, we just heard, God puts them in the garden. He plants the garden for them. He makes all the most wonderful trees and fruit and everything for them to eat. Nothing 
there's nothing else they could possibly want. They have everything. The only rule is they just can't eat the fruit of one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then uh, the serpent comes, the serpent tempts Eve, and she takes the fruit from that tree. And the question now is, why did she make that choice? Because it was the one thing she wasn't supposed to do. So why did she do it? Like on a personal level, you can be like, darn it, Eve, why? <laughs> it caused a lot of problems. Warren. Okay, how many things are listed there? It lists a number of things. Reasons that she she took the fruit. How many? Uh, Lucy, go ahead. Three things. What are the three things? Uh, she said it, she said it was delightful to look at, um, it looked good for food, and it, it would make them wise. Right. Verse 6. The tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And it was to be desired to make one wise. Now, there's there's another element to this. Now, Eve doesn't just walk up to the tree. She doesn't just kind of gaze at it, look at it, and then think, oh, you know what? This looks really good to eat. This might make me wise. It's so beautiful. There's, a, there's another element here. And so we're asking... And why does... What makes her want that? Yeah. The devil is tempting her and misleading her to think that. Like, if he wasn't there, she would never thought that. He put the thought in her head. Okay, so we have this mysterious character of the serpent who puts the thought in her head. Yeah, it will. Well, if she knew, like, if she knew what God wanted, then she could come closer to God and submit to Because... Well, you're saying it's not a totally unreasonable desire to want to know what God knows? You're saying it would kind of make some sense because that would maybe bring her closer to God. Maybe she wants to be like God. I think that's what the devil promises. Yep, she wants to be. And But do you want to be like God, Lucy? No. Raise your hand if you want to be like God. No? Are the saints like God? Come on. A lot. Now, yeah, John, I hear your point. It's like God's infinite and we're finite and that's never going to change. We're creatures. He's the creator for sure. But... You know, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We are 100% called to imitate God. You're reading the first couple chapters of Genesis. We're created in his image and his likeness. It is our job to become like God. And so I don't think the serpent's temptation is merely, is merely you know, and you can think about this from his perspective for a second. If he wants to get Adam and Eve to fall, he wants Eve to take that fruit. I don't think it would be enough for him to just say, if you take the fruit, you'll be like God. And that would lead to her wanting it. I mean, he, he has a real problem on his hands, doesn't he? The problem is, 
Adam and Eve are created good. They have a loving God who is totally accessible to them, who they can go on walks with in the cool of the day, who has provided for them everything. How in the world can the devil get Eve to betray that God? It's a tough problem. And it, it seems like, to me, it, it wouldn't be enough for him to just say, well, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. Because what, what, what should Eve say in response to that? If you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. What should she say? No. She's, no. And she should say, I was made in God's image and likeness. I already am like God. And in fact, I'm going to get more and more like God the more I get to know him. This is desirable to, you know, this is going to give me some kind of wisdom. I'm already gaining wisdom every single day by getting to know God. This is the one thing God told me not to do. How in the world would it make me like God to be disobedient? God is my father. I love him. He, he's everything. I, I, he's my creator. Why would I betray him? That's what she should have said. And I actually think that's probably what she would have said if that was the, all the, um, the entirety of the devil's temptation. But I think he tempts her, and in, in, he, he has a, a more crafty, a more clever strategy even than that. Yeah, John? Um, he says that um, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, and you'll get evil. So I think that what he's doing is he's trying to convince her that God um, betrayed them first by not um, letting them. Good. Let's read the interaction through very carefully. And keep your eyes on, on what John just said. Let's read, let's read through the interaction. Okay. The serpent, this is the very beginning of chapter 3. The serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, already this is a deceptive thing to say. God God never said that. The serpent isn't stating that, but he's he's phrasing it as a question to make it even more believable. Did God really say that you can't eat any anything? You can't eat from any of these trees? Did God really say that? What this is doing very in a very crafty way is it's subtly planting the seed of an idea in Eve's mind. He's like the you can hear the accusing tone there. Suggestion being, God might have done something here that doesn't make sense. But Eve, of course, replies, she says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And so she's saying, No, 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 like we can't eat some, just not that one. Just not that one. And the serpent comes and says, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what does that statement, what is the devil suggesting about God with that statement? Well, yeah, maybe, yep. Sort of like suddenly implying that God doesn't want them to know the evil, 
which is probably true, but he's just saying that there's such a pattern. Yeah, we get this mysterious thing about the, the knowing of good and evil, but even more importantly, I think, what is the suggesting, what is the serpent subtly suggested there about the relationship between Eve and God? Eve, hear, hear the contradiction here. Eve says, God said, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent's very next words are, you will not die. What is that? What, if that's true, what would that mean about God and Eve's relationship? That he's a liar. The devil's lie here to Eve the devil's lie is that God is a liar. That's the lie. So Eve's like, he said if I touch it, I'll die. And the, and the serpent looks her in the eye and said, you will not die. And now Eve has to make a choice. Now she has to decide if, if that could possibly be true. Could it possibly be true that God has deceived her? That the God whom she knows and loves has lied to her. Has suggested something to her just to manipulate Eve. To get her to avoid doing something that might actually be good for her. Is God trying to tamp her down? Is God trying to suppress her? Is God trying to rob something from her? These are the, the, the thoughts that must have entered into her head. What, what is the basis of the relationship then for her? It's like... Suddenly, the entire thing is, is thrown out of whack. Suddenly, if she accepts that word, if she believes what the devil tells her, suddenly, God doesn't look so good. God doesn't look like a loving father that has her best interest in mind. Instead, God looks like a manipulative tyrant. Well... So when the, and, and then notice the very next line here, it's, it's only at that point that the woman then looks at the tree and sees and now desires it. Previously, she could look at the tree and think, it's not for me. And she doesn't really want it. She has everything else, a million other things, everything else in the garden. The devil tells her that lie, and the very next line is, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She doesn't even want the fruit until that lie comes. It's like, if you have someone you know and love and care about, you don't want to do anything that will upset or hurt them. But if I tell you a lie, if I slander that person's reputation, if I suggest to you that they've done something behind your back to hurt you, all of a sudden all those other things come onto the table and you think, oh, now I don't really care about what they think and feel. Now I'm hurt and I'm upset. I've been taken advantage of, so why should I choose not do something I want to do for their sake? The devil was way more crafty than I think at first we thought. You, you realize that the whole basis of this thing was, if Eve 
trusts God, she will never sin. If Eve trusts God, she would never sin. The same thing for Adam. Because that trust of God, that relationship with God, would make her... It's, it's that knowledge and love of God which directs all of our actions. And that trust, that knowledge, that love of God would prevent her from doing anything wrong. She would just rest in Him, lean on Him, walk with Him in the garden, ask Him questions. And there will be no, no temptation, no risk, no error. No sin. So the devil comes onto the scene and thinks, how am I going to get Eve to sin even though she's been given everything? Well, what I have to do is tell her a lie to destroy her relationship with God. It's the only way. I have to make her doubt that God is good. I have to, I have to give her a, the, the chance, the dreadful opportunity to see God as a tyrant. To see God as someone who's working against her. And I'm telling you, this, this is at the heart of every single sin. It's at the heart of the first sin, and it's the heart of, at the heart of every single one after. Mistrust for God. Every single sin you have ever committed was made possible by a lack of trust in God. I bet that makes some sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know that when you, you give in to the temptation, when you see something as being good, even though it's evil, and especially when you act on it, I think you know that that happens in part because you're frustrated with God. You don't understand Him. It seems like He doesn't care. It seems like He doesn't get it. Like he's silent, he's distant, he's cold, he's uncaring, he's unfeeling toward you. Like he doesn't really have your best interest in mind. If God says, don't do this thing, and you do it, that reveals beyond the shadow of a doubt that you think, or at least, you know, in part of you thinks, that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. If you, you know, you're walking down a dark hallway at night and your friend stops you and says, don't go in that room over there. And you go in anyway. That reveals you didn't trust your friend. You did not believe your friend had your best interest in mind. And if God says, don't eat that fruit and you eat it anyway, you don't think God has your best interest in mind. You think it'll actually be better for me if I eat the fruit. At the heart of every single sin is a mistrust of God. And here's the thing. If you knew God, if you got to know him, you would be shocked, amazed, astounded by just the in infinite pool of love, mercy, compassion, care, concern for you. You'd be so overwhelmed by it that you'd never doubt him again. You'd never sin again. I know, I really, I know that sometimes that's very, very difficult to feel. I, I really know that. And it can, it can be very easy to get to the point where you just think, I don't, he seems like he's, 
seems like he's not interested in me. Like he's not, he's not really concerned with me. Like he's far from me. He doesn't talk to me. That's, that's, I'm telling you, that's the serpent's lie. You think, it seems like he promised me so many great things. He promised me holiness. He promised me happiness. He promises me salvation. But I'm still struggling with this sin and I'm still impatient. I'm still dealing with suffering on earth and I've, there's all this weakness and darkness and I'm confused. And there are tragedies that befall us and, and it becomes really easy to think, well, then I think God lied. It seems like he didn't, he didn't keep his promise. It's the serpent's lie. And if you start thinking that way, I'm telling you the next thing that happens is the sin. Because if you see God as someone who doesn't love you, as someone who isn't good, as someone who lies to you, you lose, your heart loses a holy character and you, you no longer want holy things. You no longer have reason to do what's good. Eve doesn't want that fruit until she doubts God and suddenly it looks irresistible. <laughs>